Hey, security peeps, we are live on LinkedIn and YouTube for a special edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And I have my fabulous co-host here. Well, I'm Renee Small, as you all know. My fabulous co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hola. <laughs> and we're also here with an awesome guest, John Stoner. Say hi to everyone, John. Hi to everyone, John. <laughs> I love so, how the beards are growing in as people work from home more. Exactly. It's a whole different little world going on. So um, we are here to talk about career development. And John and Chris were giving talks at the recent B-Sides Nova conference and got into a really good conversation around career tracks and, you know, moving around, moving up. And John just shared with me a little bit about the fact that he was at a conference, Chris Roberts, as usual, was talking about something. And one of the, the points made was around imposter syndrome. And so John took that and kind of ran with it with providing people, especially people trying to break into the industry. You know, you might think that you don't know anything at all, which and we, we are all continuous learners. You know, we're all learning something new every day. So John, jump in, share with me, A, how you got into this crazy industry, and then B, about, let's talk a little bit about your um, your talk at B-Sides. Sure. So, uh, so I was in the Army for 10 years in the intelligence community, um, and I got out in 2010, and at that point, as a contractor, sort of wove my way into cybersecurity um, and, and you have to find your niche. Uh, a lot of your guests have talked about this and Chris has talked about this of find where you fit in. Um, so I found myself supporting cyber counterintelligence operations. Um, and then I was also a cyber instructor cause I had instructor experience. And then I really found my true niche, which was cyber threat intelligence. Um, so I've been with the DOD as a federal employee for about, uh, two two and a half years, I think it is, um, uh, as a cyber threat intelligence uh, expert and now in a management position. Um, so that's sort of how I found my path. And like most people in cybersecurity, there is no one path. Everyone seems to have a really unique way of how they ended up where they are. Um, so I am unique along with everyone else in this field uh, of how the paths kind of wove together. And I got involved in B-Sides. Um, B-Sides Nova was the, the first year they had a B-Sides Nova. I spoke at it. And, and that was true of my mentor who was coaching me as well. You know, he had gotten into cybersecurity through, you know, this very unusual route as well. Um, and, and he... Uh, and I have some other uh, friends in the community, and one of them is Micah Hoffman. He's a mentor. You should follow him on Twitter, Web Breacher. Uh, he has an imposter syndrome video. Um, and, and I think that culminated in my talk at, at Besides Nova this last time was we do get a lot of, of junior people coming to the talks, which is fantastic. And the junior people should come to things like this after the quarantine is over and <laughs> and, and and talk to people in person and, and but a lot of the speakers, I think, seem a little aloof, perhaps, um, you know, when, when you're a younger person and you see somebody there speaking and, and we hadn't talked about, we are regular people up here too. And we have made mistakes and overcome failures and have challenges and we're still making mistakes. 
you know, maybe not all the time, hopefully, but routinely, and we're all still learning. Um, and, and that was sort of um, the point of my talk. And I, and I talked to Chris because I watched him give his talk about how to get into cybersecurity. And I thought, you know, perhaps he had just stolen all of my notes um, because we had so many of the same talking points. Um, and I've been listening to some of your older podcasts and, and there's a lot of, of similarities with some of the other guests you've had. Yeah. Um, for, for those that don't know some of the roles that you talked about, it's always interesting to, to know what a role is as defined by a certain community. So can, can you describe some of the roles and what exactly they are for, for those that might want to go into, say, um, the DOD space? Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the resources, first of all, is not every cybersecurity role is defined in it, but NIST does a really good job of defining... I think about 52 cybersecurity roles, along with all the KSAs, the ki the skills, knowledge, and abilities. So that's a pretty good general resource for people who are new. Um, so obviously, as a cyber instructor, um, so I was teaching like A plus, Net plus, Sec plus, CEH, Certified Ethical Hacker, and CISSP um, for a military client. So I was able to use previous instructor experience and course building experience for non-cyber classes and then into the cyber classroom um, be successful. So like I'm a certified instructional designer that was very applicable. So what's interesting with any role is there's a certain, there's some certain technical things that you have to do, but there's also, and we don't talk about this a lot, all the other non-technical skills that are gonna be important for that role. So as an instructor, it's classroom facilitation. Right, it's it's the successful ways to have interaction with the class. I have gone through many boot camps, and nobody wants to hear the instructor rattle on for eight hours or read word by word <laughs> off a PowerPoint slide, and that still commonly happens because that person might be really technical, but they maybe haven't really perfected some of the instructor and classroom facilitation skills. Um, so another role I had was uh, cyber counterintelligence uh, sort of support analyst. So this is working with um, a military counterintelligence uh, organization. So they're doing your traditional counterintelligence operations. Um, a lot of counterintelligence operations have a cyber or technical component to them nowadays. And you can kind of think of it like uh, anything in, in law enforcement or counterintelligence Right. There's going to be a phone involved. There's going to be someone's computer involved. It doesn't even have to be a cyber intrusion. Even normal cases have a cyber or forensics element to them. So I supported that organization, uh, relied heavily on technical knowledge, but then also fell back on skills I picked up while I was in the intelligence community when I was in the Army. And then in terms of cyber threat intelligence analysis, um, I think if you ask a couple people what that means, you'll get some varying answers. But for the most part, it comes down to um, leveraging a pretty broad set of technical knowledge of, uh, of cyber and IT, and then fusing that with uh, the intelligence, all of the skills you pick up in the intelligence world. And there are some specific knowledges that we would, we would fall back on, like the cyber kill chain, uh, the diamond model, Bianco's Pyramid of Pain, uh, MITRE attack framework, and analyze more sophisticated threat actors for the most part, so advanced persistent threats, or perhaps some of the more organized cyber criminal groups, um, and, uh, 
and, and sort of do the analysis on their tactics, techniques, and procedures, uh, what malware they're using, do they have specific campaigns, that sort of thing. So those are the three big roles in cybersecurity uh, that I've had a chance to play in. Nice. Yeah, I know one of the things that um, has, is always interesting is how when you read a job description, say, for a security analyst from one company to another, they're totally different roles. Um, I, I know for, for the most part that uh, the military and the government has fairly standardized roles, um, so they're a lot better than the commercial side, but it's, it's always interesting to understand like how they approach those roles. Yeah, I think so, a lot of people talk about the role description itself is very difficult for, for a lot of reasons that we don't have to get into right now. But, but I think one of the things is when there's a job description like a security analyst, if you get to the point where you're on the interview, that's a two-way interview. And we don't talk about that a lot because people just want to get in and get an offer. But you should be asking the, the panel or the person some questions as well, including could you describe to me what a normal day or normal week would look like? What are the sorts of skills you find that are most commonly used? Uh, because the position descriptions are oftentimes very broad um, or overreaching in some cases. So... Um, that's one of the things that I try to mentor people is that that interview is actually a two-way interview between you and that company so that you have an idea uh, of what the role is before you actually accept the offer because security analysts could mean 40 different things. Okay. Uh, and, 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 you know, that could describe a tier one SOC analyst or that generic description could, it, could describe somebody who works in cyber threat intelligence and it's very different skill sets. Yeah. You're so right about specifically about asking the questions. And, and I, I try to tell people, especially the more junior candidates, people who are breaking in and people who are not as um, adept at asking questions or interviewing, that it's not an interrogation, it's a conversation. So they think, you know, I'm studying and I want to just answer these questions, but it really should be you filling out the company as well to see if this is going to be the type of work that you want to do, will this take your career forward? You know, like, yes, you are trying to break in, but you don't want to get stuck doing something that could potentially just not be a fit. So from a culture perspective, from a, you know, from a um, technical skills perspective, you know, all of that. So John, I'm glad you made that point around a understanding, you know, knowing that a security analyst can mean a zillion different things to a zillion different companies. And even internally, sometimes you have these postings that say security analyst, um, specifically coming from HR, you can't have a lot of times these roles are, are they have specific, um, we call them not tags, but they have like a certain, they're, they're in certain bands, they're in, you know, they're, so an analyst is an analyst is an analyst, right? From an HR perspective, because we're looking at it from a number of different things. We're looking at it from, you know, years of experience, from compensation, from all these various things. And the, the job description could look very generic. And then when you get, when you get in there, it could be, you know, something that's not even really posted. Um, so to a couple points that you made, one job descriptions are, you know, you can't really go by them all the time. And then two, definitely from an interviewing perspective, 
you want to be engaged in the interview and have your own questions ready so that you can ask these managers, hey, what kind of work am I going to be doing? What kind of project am I working on? What skills will I take away when this is all over, you know, in the next year or so? Or if I'm successful in this role, what would that mean? What does that look like? So, you know, having those types of conversations within the interview. Chris? Yeah, that, that's one of the, the great questions there is how do they measure success? Because I think if you ask that, you'll find out what the the true pain point of the organization is because you're looking to for you to solve that pain point. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are both really good points. Um, another good question for for someone interviewing is. Uh, do people here have an opportunity to promote within the organization um, and, and get the get whoever you're interviewing with um, to answer those sorts of questions? You'll get a sense pretty quickly. Uh, obviously, in our space right now, we have a panel. We've it's a fairly formal hiring panel for for a DoD position, um, but you would get a sense pretty quickly just from the from the demeanor of the people on the panel. You know if that question even uh, bothers them or if they aren't sure how to answer it. Uh, we are always more impressed with candidates that ask us questions as well, um, whether it's about, um, you know, do we allow telework or do we don't, uh, you know, it's questions about that. It shows me that you thought about the job a little bit. Uh, what sorts of training opportunities are available uh, is another interesting question you could ask. Um, so, yeah, you, you'll want to get a sense depending on if it's, a, you know, a private sector role, a consulting role or a federal job. There'll, there'll probably be some questions you need to ask as well. You know, uh, shift work, flexibility. Those are some important things to consider before you take a role. Um, and a, in a lot of cases, it's not thought of at the interview. And then you may take a position and realize that there's some incompatibility there. And it's a little late at that point. Yeah. Well, there's some some uh, comments from the chat. So Eric Kimani is well. I asked everyone how they're doing working from home, and it's a, it's a struggle. <laughs> but yeah. the, the ones I mean, Chris and I, this is what we do all day long. But for the folks that are not doing it, it is it's really um, a challenge. So Eric Kimani says good points all along from John regarding regarding how broad cybersecurity is. Um, a. Nelson says, that is correct. I interviewed the company to ensure that they would also be a good fit for me. So A. Mm -hmm. Nelson, absolutely. Cody Wyatt, that's a good point. And I hear a lot of people say you're interviewing the company as well. But how can we be more effective at doing this when we're only allotted a small period of time at the end of the interview after being asked a list of questions? Hmm. So, <laughs> Chris, do you want to take that first? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I interject when they're asking me questions um, before they get to ask another question I will uh, tag on to that question like they might ask me how I would tackle a certain situation and then I would respond back with my answer and then go oh how would you say grow my skills in these areas if it's an area that I'm maybe not as skilled in so kind of make sure you don't wait until the end because then you look like a passive candidate that's just going through the flow I'd rather you interject yourself and ask questions throughout the process. So it's a conversation and not um, an interrogation. Cody yeah. says this. I'm sorry. A. Nelson says the same thing. Cody, he says, Cody, I've taken over the interview and no, it does not run over time. Transition in the interview is smooth. So it becomes your interview in my experience. So he's pretty much saying the same thing you're saying, Chris. Yeah. And, and if you, 
if for some reason there is a time restriction, like it, it, like we might be ha- we may have three people scheduled for interviews. Um, so maybe we have to sort of end it at some point. But you can always contact the HR with follow up questions that she can ask us as well. So even if they aren't HR questions, um, so we try to be pretty open. Um, at my DOD agency when we do have an interview. But most of the time, the interviews tend to run shorter than longer in most cases. Um, and I think it's because a lot of people are a little intimidated to have that conversation and ask us questions sort of during the whole process. And in a lot of cases, people will answer with really short replies as well when when we're sort of wanting you to expand. So like if it's you know, a question about your familiarity with with one of the attack frameworks, whether it's uh, the cyber kill chain or the diamond model or the MITRE attack, you know, we don't want yes. Like, we're not looking for a yes as an answer. We want you to be as expressive if you do have familiarity with that. And that can actually turn into a conversation as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, I mean, w- one of the things that I try to coach hiring managers on is to ask open-ended questions. So, you know, rephrase the question so it's not yes or no, because some, especially the junior people will just say yes, no, (laughs) you know, versus an open-ended question. How did you do this? How would you work on this? Um, And have them doing more explaining. But these folks also are, are commenting here that this is a good, uh, this is a good dialogue and the good, and the feedback um, in regards to providing back and forth into what we said earlier, it being kind of like a, a tag team. You know, think about playing tennis where the ball is going back and forth. So they ask a question, you answer, you ask a question. They ask, you know, let them answer, then they ask the next question, you answer, you ask a question. So, you know, it's feeding into, it's a conversation. So that that's the one thing I drill in over and over about it being a conversation versus right. Q, just Q and you're doing the A. Yeah, the open-ended questions is really powerful, and I think um, you know, we go out of our way to try to ask a number of open-ended questions, but that's not always the case everywhere. So if you are in an interview where the questions aren't open-ended, you can just pretend it was an open-ended question, and it will probably be beneficial to you to pretend yeah. it was open-ended. Um and you should feel free to ask open-ended questions back to whoever you're doing the interview with. Like, could you tell me your experience with the company and what are some things you really like and what are some things that you don't like as much? And they should be honest. And if they're not honest with you, again, that's very telling that maybe there are some things there that they're not willing to really disclose, right? Every every company organization has pros and cons uh, of working in it. Um, and in most of the cases, Uh, like Chris said, you might want to ask about like assessments and promotions and sort of get a general sense of if they're even willing to talk about that. If somebody's not really even willing to address those topics, that is at least a yellow flag. Maybe it's not a red flag, but it it might be something to to keep in mind. Um, But yeah, open-ended questions also outside of the interview space, very useful just in your career field to ask people open-ended questions. Good point. So Ilongo says, is good feedback from an interview about you from a job a good thing despite not being hired? And how can you use that feedback to better your interviewing skills? Um, yeah, I mean, I think if that organization has has spent time giving you feedback, even if maybe you weren't selected, that's always a good sign. Um, 
and it will depend on what that feedback is, was the position um, too senior for your skill set, which is probably one of the most common reasons people might not get selected, is that they've applied for something and maybe they didn't have you know, all the skills or the experience for that position. Um, so, I mean, that would be one thing. And in that case, you may just want to change sort of uh, what jobs you're looking at or understand that maybe you're not qualified for that sort of a role. Like, I mean, maybe it was like a, a, talk, a, a SOC tier three analyst. You know, maybe you want to, maybe you're not going to qualify for a lot of those positions yet. Maybe you should look at a tier two position if you're currently in a tier one. Um, so I think that that happens in the community a little bit, or or you may get some feedback about particular skills. This is one I struggled with quite a bit is we want the candidate to know about X software. And I thought that that was always interesting that software proficiencies are being listed for certain things, because in my opinion, if it's a piece of software, I could probably figure that out in about a day. Like there's not a lot of software that if you're a technical person by nature, that you can't necessarily figure out. So if they're like, oh, well, you don't have, I mean, I'll just throw something up, like SolarWinds experience or something, right? Or you haven't worked with, you know, our version of whatever we use for data logging. Um, I would spin that around and be like, well, I may not have used that particular software, but I've actually, you know, used this other software for data logging and I'm pretty proficient at learning new software and techniques. So I feel confident that shortly after coming on, I could figure out your software. And, and you should practice answering questions like that, where the default answer might be, no, I don't have experience with X, or you, know, you want to spin that into a positive way to talk about your strengths. So if you are somebody that can learn a lot of things and you have your home lab set up, which everybody talks about, maybe there's some free version you can learn and you can talk about that. Well, not only could I learn this on the job pretty quickly, I'm fairly confident, you know, I would spin up a VM and practice with that software if that was something that I needed to do. But not to mention yeah. that software changes all the time. The landscape changes all the time. So if you find a company that is um, heavily reliant on you knowing a specific piece of software and they don't want you to learn it on the job, that's probably a yellow flag for something else that you're going to very likely be cornered in this very tiny spot and not do anything else and if you're fine with that then that's great but if your if your vision for this role is to learn and grow um that's a yellow flag right there yeah it's a good and point it, yeah good point chris and john um in addition to that a lot of times to john's point if you might not be senior enough sometimes people are too senior and the hiring team thinks that you'll get bored um when people give you feedback, especially, and they tell you, you know, we're going to keep you in mind, then that, again, that's also positive because just because you're not a fit for this particular role, you could be a culture fit and a good fit for something else. So I'll just tell you, I'll give you an example of a project that I'm working on right now. One person, he's been called like three or four times to interview for various roles within various hiring managers because we know that he is a good culture fit. We're just trying to align his skills with the right role. So over the past couple months, since like October or so, people have reached out to him and said, hey, are you, a, you know, like we have this role, do, do your skills align? We have this role, do your skills align? So you'll get that over and over again. Um, so don't be discouraged when a manager says or HR says, you know, 
this this time it didn't work out, that doesn't mean that they won't call you back, you know, in a week or a month for something else. So. Yeah, I think that's especially true. The the consulting company I, I worked with uh, fairly extensively before I, I became a, a DOD employee, they, they're pretty big, so they have a lot of openings as well. Um, but they're looking for the right kind of person to join their organization, right? There's a certain type of person that really sticks out. So, the, so they have a number of openings as well. And if you go to the career track and talks at the various cons that are around and listen to the recruiters that are there and the hiring managers, I think that's pretty common at some of the larger companies where they might have, you know, 300 billets open, right? That they're trying to fill. So even though you may have a technical interview and that wasn't a fit, like Renee is saying, you may still be a fit for the company. So you'll just want to proactively stay in touch with your recruiter maybe, um, you know, there are some things you can do do with that as well. If you've gotten the good feedback, but maybe not a perfect fit for that particular role. John, you're so right. I mean, people, the you know, top of mind, right? So you think about that when I think about it, when, when I'm doing outreach as a recruiter and when people reach out to me, I think of them, oh, this person can be a, a good fit for this or this person can be a good fit for that because everybody's juggling, right? So, you know, priorities shift all the time. You keep try to keep in touch with as many candidates as possible. But after at, at some point, you know, it becomes thousands of thousands of people that could be fits, right? And right. then you're also looking at timing. So I could have an awesome job for you, but you just took a job somewhere else that so I got to put you on a back burner. There's a lot of moving parts. So keeping in touch, like, you know, once every couple of weeks, once every, once a month saying, hey, just reaching out, remind, reminding me that or reminding the recruiter in the organization and the hiring managers still interested in your company, would love to work with you, just checking in to see if there's anything available. That is a huge plus because that manager is going to say, wow, this person is really interested. They're being proactive. They're reaching out to me. They want this job. When something comes up, I'm going to think of them first. Really yeah, about thinking of that person. That, that reminded me of something I think is pretty important that I also don't see discussed a lot is, um, you know, once once you're in this field or even if you're still starting to break into it, just because you have uh, discussions with a recruiter or are staying in touch or even go for an interview, that doesn't mean that you have to take the job. So, you know, if you're going all the way to the interview, you should be fairly serious that you would potentially consider an offer. Um, but if it's been a long time since you've interviewed and maybe you're kind of feeling, you know, maybe stale and you do an interview and you get an offer, that doesn't mean you're committed. Like you haven't made a commitment yet. Um, and then there's the whole like just staying in touch with other professional colleagues. A lot of organizations are relying on sort of an internal recommendation. I mean, I think that holds a lot of weight, which is why when you hear us talk at conferences, we, we talk about how important networking is, right? Because if you find yourself looking for another job or ready to move on, you don't really always want to start at ground zero again. Like you want to maintain this network of professionals and then sort of you can start letting them know maybe even early that, hey, you know, I've been here a while. I'm thinking about maybe making a move. Maybe keep me in mind if you see anything for, you know, a role like X, and then they'll be on the lookout. And if they see something, they'll know, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, Mike was talking about maybe moving on. I wonder if he'd be interested in this. And I'm not sure we talk about that a lot. But again, it's a really critical aspect of, of how jobs get filled, not by job boards. 
Right. They like n- <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to say it. John, thank you for saying it because I try to say it every week, but they don't listen to me. So whenever somebody else comes on and says it, I'm like, yes. Job boards are like number 99 in ways that people get hired. Almost every single job that um I, you know, out of after college maybe. After that, I don't know what the percentage is, but super high percentages around networking, super high percentages around, you know, outreach, knowing that John is in the industry and John is gave this talk and look at his background and I want to talk to him. And we had drinks at the, you know, at the event or I met him for lunch or what have you. It's so, so, so much your network and making those connections and being, I mean, you know, there's so there's so much to that. It's so, so, so important to do that, to have the network, to engage on, or, you know, on platforms like LinkedIn. Chris and I can't tell you how many opportunities we're getting at, just out of being on LinkedIn doing this. And then, you know, just connecting with so many people and meeting so many people. And the, Chris and I, we, we joke around with the fact that we didn't even meet each other in person until what last B-Sides? Yeah. <laughs> and we have been working together for over a year on these on this because we met on LinkedIn, connected on LinkedIn, wanted to do this, started doing it, and then met in person for the first time like a year ago. So, I mean, utilize LinkedIn, jump into the chats, leave your opinion as small as you may think it may be. It's your perspective. You're bringing different things to the table. Everyone is unique. Just like you said earlier, John, you came in from a unique perspective. Chris came in from once, you know, help desk. I came in from HR. Like there's so many different ways and so many perspectives that you can add in. Um, So thank you for saying that for the thousandth time. Um, Eric Kamani. Oh, go ahead, John. And then I'll tell you about the. the You've reminded me of something else too, that, um, I don't hear talked about quite as much is the other thing, like as somebody who's done some hiring actions before I'm hiring the whole person, right? So I'm looking for fit plus skills. So when you're at the interview and when you're interacting, like you're making an impression all of the time, your LinkedIn presence, your comments, you know, your, your demeanor, your excitement, your enthusiasm or lack thereof that is all stuff that comes across way before an interview. If I've, if I've met you before somewhere. Um, so even internally to your organization, you're interviewing every day for a promotion every day you're at work. If you intend to get promoted or even change roles or change teams. Right. So you want to kind of keep that in mind is that, you know, there, there's all sorts of various types of individuals in our field. We're all different. We really are all different. We all have different personalities. There's a lot of introverts. There's some extroverts. Um, there's people with beards. There's people without beards. Uh, <laughs> some people with mohawks. Um, but you, you, when we're bringing you onto a team and we have to make a hiring decision, it's the whole person, right? Like, do you fit? Do you communicate well? Do you seem to dress professionally if that's what's required in that environment, right? Because there's culture fit. Right, like where we're at, it's business casual. But if we have meetings or going to the Pentagon or something, it's business, 
right? So like, that's not what everybody wants on a day-to-day basis. You know, some people really want jeans and a t-shirt um, or to telework all the time, which is not something, you know, pre-quarantine we did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there as well. So like, even if you don't think you killed the technical interview questions, if you're the right person and we can train you and you're going to be a fantastic fit, it's possible you might beat someone who has more experience or maybe understood some some technical aspects better if they just don't seem like they're going to be a team player or a good communicator. And that happens all the time. It happens so much more often than people think. People say to me, well, I had all, I have everything. I check every box. I have all the skills. People don't fully understand what fit means. And so I try to explain, you know, you think about, extracurricular activities or think about a think you know think about being on your basketball team your your whatever games that you're playing right everybody can't be the point guard everybody isn't you know the tallest person so everybody isn't a center so when you think about the team putting together the team you may have someone that is um less skilled technically but their personality is going to be a good fit with the and I have an awesome example about this. We had a role um, a couple years ago, and it's so funny. There was a um, there was a lady who interviewed, and and this is not this wasn't really super technical, but she had she checked every single box. Like she was she was perfect on paper. However, she had a strong personality. I could tell. We had two <laughs> other women who had very strong personalities. And I said, I made the recommendation to my boss at the time. I was like, look, this is going to be, if you bring in another, you know, like this is just going to be clashes all day long. Like I I could just see it. And he wasn't even, it's funny because, you know, he was really kind of straight and narrow, like checking the boxes on the experience, right? Like, oh, look at her. She has all this experience or whatever. And I was like, listen, I really, you know, my recommendation would be to go with this much more junior person. Like the person was completely, one person had, I don't know, 15 years of experience. The other person had like two. Like I would go with this person because I think, you know, it's just going to be a whole lot lighter for the org, (laughs) for our team, right? As a whole. And he did. And then he said to me, you know, I really appreciate you bringing that to my person, you know, bringing that to me because, the other girl that we hired, she was, you know, a pleasure to be around. It was easy, you know, like you, you just, you, I just anticipated the fights that was going to happen, bringing in one person versus another. And sometimes you want that fight person. Now in another organization where I hired somebody, we knew that this guy, for lack of better word, you know, we, we knew he was going to be like that guy. And we're like, that's what we want because we, yeah. we want to shake this place. We want to shake it up. We want some people, you know, to to get on the ball. We need somebody with a really strong personality that's going to come in here. That could. He was. It, it was so funny when we interviewed this one particular guy. He was so. Uh, I think about him in an interview, and you know, when somebody's trying to, you know, you could tell that they're acting nice, but they're really not. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you can tell <laughs> sometimes. Excellent, but you know, like, they're really, like, a hard ass. And so it was so funny because we joked around, like, this person tried to act like, oh, I'll be clear. We, like, we know what you, we know exactly what we're getting. And that's what we want. Like, that's what we want right now in this time for this role because we want to get certain things done. 
and you bring in X amount of experience from a technical perspective, but you also bring in some experience from a personality perspective that people want. Mm -hmm. So that's what fit means. And that's a lot of times why I tell people all the time, like you can't take any of this stuff personally. Like you just have to charge on, be who you are. Don't try to fit yourself into a box because if you're that hard-nosed person, somebody's going to want you. If you're the nicest person in the world and you're, the, you know, the person baking cookies and bringing stuff in, somebody's going to want you. So you can't, <laughs> so you can't, you can't always be, you know, you want to be, be who you are. Be the best version of you. You know, go in there, know as much as you can. But when it comes to fit, it's such, it's so like subjective that it it really kind of depends on what's going on in the organization at that time, what's going on in that team at that time. There's so many factors that happen that are happening behind the scenes that people aren't aware of. And they take everything, uh, it's tough, right? Because you're, especially when you're interviewing a ton and you haven't gotten a job and you're down on yourself and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Sometimes, yes, interviewing skills, but sometimes it's just really trying to get that fit. So that's my long convoluted answer. <laughs> Eric Kamani says, if you have to get up on a flip chart, I think he's answering an, an older question that we have. If you have to get up on a flip chart or a whiteboard to explain an answer or a concept, do that. Don't be a really excellent point, Eric. Yeah, the, I've, uh, we were interviewing for an instructor and uh, it turns out this person is now one of my really good friends, but we asked him to stand up and use the whiteboard and explain the OSI model. And we knew immediately, regardless of any of the other questions, we, mean, we knew immediately he was the person we wanted to hire. And uh, that reminded me of something too, not to steal the thunder from the question thread, but um, there was something on Twitter this morning about what's your best interview question. One of the recent ones we added was in about five minutes, explain to the panel something that you consider your you to be an expert in and it doesn't have to be cybersecurity related and that tells us a lot about how can you articulate something that you know about to people who may not know about it which is a huge skill in almost any cybersecurity role at once you get you know outside like even at the junior levels it's really important and you should work on that um so yeah don't be afraid of an unusual question either at the interview yeah for sure. Communication skills are key. Tyrone wants to know, is asking why a position is open or what happened to the position, the person who held the position a good idea? Uh, I don't see any reason with that. We'll ask that. We ask that occasionally. We get that question. Um, a lot of times in our organization, someone somewhat senior leaves and then the person who was their subordinate has applied. And then the person who was below them has applied. So like there's a whole bunch of that happening because we do, you know, offer, you know, internal employees as part of the DOD, they can apply. So we'll get that where like there's a whole bunch of positions that come open sometimes because we're sort of like filling, filling the tree back up in that chain of command. Right. Um, but no, I think that's a very valid question. And again, if that panel doesn't want to talk about it, that tells you that there's probably some things going on that you need to consider. Yeah, right. the, the things that I look for in the answer is, um, oh, we grew our business, so we need another person. Or, oh, the person left because they were promoted or they went to another role or they chose something different. The things I don't want to hear is, well, we, re we laid off most of our staff and we're refilling the position now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, or some organizational, some something like a restructure. 
yeah, there's like a lot of restructuring, you know, you, you know the code words for somebody <laughs> ran out of here. <laughs> somebody, right. somebody ran right. out. And, or- and, yeah, so I mean, you kind of want to be aware of any red flags, but at least in this Maryland, D.C., Northern Virginia area, there's quite a lot of turnover because there's more positions than cybersecurity experts. So there's in our in our situation, you should expect that some people's answer are going to be, you know, that person had been here for a while and wanted a different opportunity. That's a really valid answer around here. You also have a lot of contractor to Fed, Fed to contractor jumping around as well. Um, some people are doing that to get experience. Um, so, so. I wouldn't let the fact that there's openings at companies also sort of turn you off either, but it is a question you should ask. Another question. Cody wants to know, burnout is something that I have heard a lot of longer term professionals speak about. Would you have any tips on how to manage a healthy level of PD throughout your career? And I guess PD is professional development. Cody, can you clarify PD? Yeah, I I think so. Um, Well, John talked about it in his talk at B-Sides where he talked about um, ensuring from a management perspective, ensuring that you delegate so that you don't overstress yourself. But then also from the, the junior perspective, don't overcommit to work that you know you can't do. And if you are feeling overexerted, ex- express that to management that you're feeling exerted so that they can help you out um, if possible. Yeah, I think this speaks to... I mean, to some extent, it may depend on the type of job you have in cybersecurity. Um, I think we hear this most often from people in a SOC-like atmosphere. Uh, Maybe our forensics people and incident responders come to mind who get a lot of burnout as well. Um, But, you know, the organization shouldn't be expecting you to work 70 hours a week every week. Um, And and I would not want to be part of an organization where the default was I'm expected to work 70 hours every week. Um, There are not a lot of organizations that are probably going to expect you to work 40 hours every week. Um, There are some upsides to being in certain DOD organizations or government positions where there are hours capped. This is a legitimate question you need to ask at the interview or what are the hours expectations, whether it's salaried or hourly position, like get that, possibly in writing from HR if you can, because if you have like your family situation means you can only work 50 hours a week max, you know, you don't want to take a position where they think that you're going to put in 70 hours a week if that's what's needed. Um, And we don't really talk about this a lot and we don't have to have an in-depth discussion about capitalism right now. Um, But these are legitimate concerns that are being talked about a little bit more openly and as, as a manager, I want to set my team up for success. So there may always be some situations that require people to do a little bit more. Um, but, you know, we don't expect people to do a little bit more constantly because they'll end up leaving. Um, so this is something you should also be really honest with yourself about, right? People go through different stages in their lives. You know, if you're in a very busy stage or you're still trying to get your degree or you have a brand new baby or something, right? These are things you need to be um, sort of self-aware of what you should take on and and in terms of like um, professional development and um, 
you know, perhaps other opportunities at work. You know, if you're a contractor or consultant, you know, don't let your boss know, hey, let me know if you need anything. I'm always available. If that's really not true, right? Because now you're just sending your management team mixed signals. Like if you can't come and work on the proposal tonight from seven to midnight, don't send the signal that you actually can if you really can't, right? Because there's different expectations depending on your position and, and, and what sort of additional duties maybe are optional versus required. Right. Um, more questions, tons of questions on this. So Tyrone wants to know, okay, Cody Wyatt asked a ton of questions here, or he had some follow-up. And he said, if I can be honest, I've always reached out asking for suggestion, suggestions or advice for my interviewers. As a result, most, most of the time I'm giving little, given little to no beneficial advice or told something I may already know or be aware of, I guess those just weren't good fits for me. I believe everything happens for a reason. And then he follows up and says, but something I always do and seems to leave an excellent last impression is going back the next day and delivering handwritten thank you notes to each panel interviewer. So I'll take that one, Cody. Um, the reason why you're getting vague advice is because um, for legal purposes, we cannot really provide any specific advice. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, most companies probably have a legal team in HR and you want to, you know, the, the type of feedback that's given is usually pretty canned, unfortunately. Um, but like I said, that's why on the, the one hand, what I was talking about earlier around being um, just being your best self, because at the end of the day, you probably won't find out unless you have somebody on the inside, a friend or somebody to tell you hey, this went to such and such because they're internal or for whatever reason, you know, the job didn't go to you. Um, I can give my own personal example. When I was interviewing for a job that um, I ended up not getting the role, it was an internal position. I went and interviewed for it, did not get it. And they told me afterwards, oh, the person, they gave me the same spiel. I give everybody else, we really like you. Um, it's just that we have somebody that, which was true, it, they, we have somebody who is um, kind of already doing this role somewhere else and we're going to bring that person over and then we'll follow up with you, which they did. And so a couple months later, they reached back out and said, you know, we want you on the team. And that guy, I mean, my former boss and I, we still have lunch like once a month. So it became one of these um, situations where, I, I knew I was like taking my own advice, like, okay, they said they want me or they told me interview, you know, and I went and interviewed and it wasn't the right fit, but I had already gone to all the interviews. So the same interview panel would have been the people interviewing me for the role that's the step down, kind of like that tree that you just talked about, somebody fill one and then, you know, the backfill or whatever. And so I didn't have to go through all that. I just went and interviewed with the person who was the last, you know, the last person on the chain. And he even said, you know, they just said, you know, this girl was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you already came or you already came with the feedback. So yeah. it happens all the time and you probably won't um, unfortunately get any specifics in terms of feedback. I would just say, just keep moving forward, get yourself mentors like Chris and John and all these people keep the network going all about networking. And if so I can add something, if you're not getting a lot of feedback, um, 
you know, have someone look at your resume who's in the industry, which is, you know, why one of the reasons I like going to the career aspects of the events that I go to so I can help. Um, and maybe practice some interview questions, uh, you know, with your friends or family or find that mentor who's willing to do like a, you know, even if it's a 15 minute Skype session, you know, let me see how you're coming across. Like you know, the other thing that's really obvious is when a candidate is really nervous and to me, if a candidate's really nervous, that's, you know, sends some signals like maybe it's not the best fit. I don't understand why someone is so nervous. Um, so through practice, maybe you can get over that so it's not, you know, that obvious if this is a really difficult thing for you. Interviewing is really stressful for everyone. And some people pretend that it's not better than others. Everyone who interviews is nervous, right? Some of us is to have just practiced it enough that we can kind of like not stutter, not sweat so much. So obviously, because we've kind of practiced it and gone through it a little bit. And if you really don't have someone you trust, ask yourself some interview questions and use a mirror to see what you look like when you're answering the questions. Um, this is a trick a lot of instructors use or people who are going to talk on stage. You know, they'll, they'll try to give the speech or answer the questions in front of the mirror at least. Are you like, are you making eye contact or like you answering every question like this, right? And not making any eye contact. It's just very, like you may not know that you do that stuff and it, it, it comes across in the interview. Yeah. So, I mean, we have so many more questions, so I'm going to, but we have to cut, we have to cut, you know, unfortunately we're at 49 minutes almost, both of us have to go. I'm going to just read off yeah. a couple more comments and then wrap, but um, uh, Maureen Damel says, this is amazing advice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's my friend. Um, sometimes, Elango is talking about sometimes the company wants to find if someone can fit into their culture, which is so true. Um, and he talked earlier about the questions that don't have anything to do with um, the role. And then uh, Maureen says, you know, sometimes she does take it personally when she doesn't get the feedback. Um, uh, gosh, there's so many more questions. So, John, this is what we'll do. Why don't we bring you back for a round two since we're all home, <laughs> working from home. We could bring you back for a round two next week if that works. Yeah, and then we'll, we'll, we can we'll, continue. we'll definitely try to work on the schedule. And then yeah. people can get a hold of me as well. Yep. Um, so look me up on LinkedIn and shoot me a message. Yes, yes, absolutely. So thank you all. I mean, this is so engaging. I love doing these. I'm so happy we are able to get this done this week. Chris and I have been trying me with my multiple children, <laughs> you know, the madness that's going on while we're all at home. Yeah. But we want to continue to bring you these live broadcasts so we can help you continue on in your career. Yeah, wash your hands, get toilet paper and all that other fun stuff. Anywho, thank you, John. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be on again sometime. You'll be on again. You'll give your piece of advice. We, we have to wrap, right, Chris? Can, do we have a minute to ask? No, we got to wrap. Yeah. Let's, what's your one sage piece of advice based on everything you've said so far to offer to a candidate looking to break in? Um, man, one piece of advice. One. Break um, it to one. Have self-confidence. Nice. Nice. Well, That's there we awesome. Go. Yep, <laughs> it's a wrap. Right. Self-confidence, people. Be yourselves. Be your best self. Yeah. All right. See you next time. And thank you for coming to Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Bye. Bye.